Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Suzanne Worthy. She wrote a book on energy. <clears throat> Wait, what's the name of the book? I don't even have it written down here. An Energy Healer's Book of Dying. Awesome. Well, I mean, some of what people might not think is awesome, but hey, I think dying is a pretty important thing to do. Well, yeah, right? And it's going to happen regardless. So I think it's great to talk about. Yes, I think it's probably, other than being born, it's the second most important event of our lives. <laughs> it's like one of those guarantees <laughs> in lives, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's only two things, being born and dying. <laughs> and uh, for some reasons, humans uh, don't want to explore death. Yeah. Um, actually, that, we'll start right there. Why do you think people especially in America anyway, North, you know, where we're at, you know, pe- people don't even like to talk about this topic. Why do you think that is? Oh, I think there's a, a ton of different reasons, but basically it stems from people's belief systems. And sadly, most of our human belief systems come from a perspective that death is final Um, and that we don't know what's going to happen. And um, humans don't like the question of the unknown. And I think that's a big part of it right there. So not knowing and then having these belief systems that it's a finality, it's done, it's over, which I don't necessarily believe in. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, And so, yeah, a combination thereof. And then, of course, we, we add in all of the ridiculousness of media and things about, you know, death is scary and dying is scary. And, and we just exacerbate the subject from there on. So there's a lot of different reasons, but basically it's beliefs. Interesting. You know, I never really considered the media side of it. You know, I always kind of just, I, for me, I always, like, as a kid anyway, like I think my first fear of death was just the fear of going to hell, you know, cause I was always stealing, <laughs> you know, candy and cookies and stuff like right. that. And I said, I said, I'm doomed. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I never really considered the media side of it. Um, well, you know, there's such a spin on scary stuff and we can take death into the media in a million different ways. And we can, I mean, just think of what happens when somebody even on the mainstream media dies. Uh, just recently we had the black Panther gentleman that died and he was so young and people are like, he was so young and he died too young and he didn't get to do this and he didn't get to do that. And we go on these rants about death of how unfair it is and the media will take that and run with it. And in my opinion, that's ridiculous because he didn't plan to be here from a soul's perspective or he still would be here. And so that always kind of confuses me when the media takes a spin on it, that it's unfair and it throws victimization in there. And then this creates a ripple effect of anger and frustration and guilt and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, media doesn't help it most often. I like the perspective and this comes up a lot on my show that we sign up for this. <laughs> we don't remember signing up for it, right? but we signed up for, for this life. And we also signed up for you know a certain amount of time or to serve a certain purpose. And part of that purpose, you know, is dying. 
is is to to pass away so other people can have that experience of loss. Yeah, exactly. And and I respect that you think that way in terms of we have co-contracts with the other people that were involved with in life. And yes, they did sign up to lose their mother when they were 12, even though people fight me on that like crazy. And, and I say, contractually speaking from a soul's perspective, you did, you signed up for that. And you know, a lot of 3D thinking doesn't want to have anything to do with that. But when we think from a higher perspective and we look at the bigger picture and we understand the soul's lessons and what we came here to do as interactive beings, there's all kinds of reasons my mother may have died when I was 12. And we can examine that and learn from that and move forward in life without a victim program attached to it if we can understand this concept a little bit bigger. But you know, it's a, it's a tough one for most people. So I think it's awesome that your show presents this because people need to open their hearts and heads to that concept and quite possibly learn something. Yeah, yeah. And if, if somebody dies at a certain time, it's because those experiencing that loss are meant to um, have an experience in life around that loss and to learn certain lessons from it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And a not, lot of those... It's not, not to be victimized by it, but to, to experience it and learn and grow and become a, a, a stronger soul ourselves. And, and to quite possibly just learn a different perspective on the concept of abandonment overall, yeah. because a lot of us feel abandoned and left when somebody leaves planet. And that isn't necessarily the case. It's up to us if we choose to determine how we want to still connect with those people, even though they aren't walking around in a meat body, it's important for us to understand there is no abandonment unless we're only looking at it from that fine, you know, teeny tiny perspective. So it, it opens up a lot of opportunity. Yes. Yes. And, and like, I know in like my situation, especially like when my parents passed away, especially my mom, she made it very clear that she wasn't gone. <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, um, like one of the things that used to happen after she passed away is I was, you know, I had to take care of my father and my father was sort of an ornery type of guy. And whenever he would say something really ornery or sort of, you know, off the wall, you know, a picture would fall down or something <laughs> like that, you know. Oh, so your mom had some killer energy. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so, so there was always these things happening, you know, she's like, you know, Telling him to to, to to back off. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's super. That's a great thing to have happen to you and experience without the fear factor around it. Like there's something going on in my house that's creepy. You know, I think that's super cool story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really funny. And, yeah. and then, and then when my dad passed away, um, I, I had to empty out the house and, and sell it because I have two older brothers. We had to split it up. Right. Um, and my dad was a bit of a junk hoarder. Like the basement of the house was filled to the ceiling with just useless garbage, really. Right. <laughs> but but he loved his garbage. <laughs> and, Some people do, yeah. So, so when I when I emptied out the basement, you know, um, you know, it, it was all emptied out, and I had like just like a, a stack of pictures that I found um, sitting on the basement steps. And, and there's no breeze down there or anything. The air never moves in that basement. And um, and when one day I come down there and just the pictures are just scattered all over the floor. Wow, like they were checking them out, kind of looking. Or he was checking out. Or he was just mad at me. I I took it as him just being mad that I, I got rid of all his junk. 
Well, he might might have just been checking out how awesome he looked in his younger days in the photos also. <laughs> you <laughs> sure, never know. I didn't think of that one. <laughs> well, well, That's pretty cool looking. that you've had um, paranormal experiences that still keep you in a mindset of open heart, and that's pretty neat for you. Yeah. Um, so, so what is it that got you um, heading down this road? Well, uh, started out as a daughter of a mortician, like I intro in the book, uh, death and dying was my normal upbringing because of my father's job and his actual place of business was where we hung out. And so, you know, the hearse was the family car. We hung out at the funeral home after <laughs> piano lessons on Saturday. So um, it was a pretty, we thought pretty normal thing. And you would talk about dead people all the time at dinner because that was what your dad did. And so for a long time at the very beginning, I guess we weren't really made privy to the concept of that other people didn't speak like that and talk like that and think like that and act like that. And I sort of got all of a sudden into those younger years of maybe grade school, middle school, and everybody's like, ew, you know, so I, then I sort of pulled back a titch in thinking maybe this is a little bit weird. But then in high school, it kind of came full circle again, because my dad would come to, we were in Catholic school and my dad would come to religion classes and talk about death and dying. And, and it was really cool. Cause then it was kind of like, everybody wanted to know everything. So it kind of swung back, you know? Um, but yeah, I, the, I didn't come into um, a so-called job or a personal mission of being a hospice person until obviously much later in life when I started doing energy work and but the concept of death was there from day one. So yeah, very normal for us. Interesting. Um, so, so did your father ever have any difficulty uh, do you, that you remember him talking about, like dealing with some of the families? You know, um, I don't think he shared anything in that regard. He would maybe share some funny stories like, goodness, we had, you know, to get an extra large coffin today and we had to figure that out or, you know, we had to figure out this, that, or the other thing with some quirky, odd stuff. It was never really a struggle because I believe that my father is incredibly intuitively gifted in his own right in terms of how he deals with humans. And he has a beautiful energy of a different sort of a healer, empathy, compassion, kindness that is just oozes out of him. And I don't really ever remember him being frustrated or irritated with interactions with people because I think he works from such a heartfelt state. Now, that said, I'm sure there was because there's a lot of people that don't handle the death process very well, but that was never really brought into the home as a discussion or, or a presentation of any sort because I just saw him as working in ease and grace most all of the time and still do. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um. Because I know, like, sometimes, you know, it, there has to be, like, you know, some traumatizing stuff that he had to deal with also. I think um, I've seen more of that in hospice. I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I've mm -hmm. seen more of the um, dramatic, um, you know, not wanting to deal with this more as a healer and in hospice than I probably think he's seen at that point. Because I really believe when you're in the funeral or service point of the process, you've come mm -hmm. to some semblance of not necessarily acceptance, but some semblance of balance with how you're handling it. And I think when we are in the dying process itself or in the sick process is when a lot of the emotions are, are off 
uh, you know, off the charts in terms of, I don't want this to happen, or how can I control this or change this, or why is this happening to him or her, et cetera. And so I think I probably would think that I was entertaining more of that chaos in the, in the time frame that I'm seeing this death process more so, more so than he was, if that makes any sense. It does. I mean, the only thing I, I was thinking of is like, you know, like having to patch bodies back together. Cause I, I went to a, I had a friend who was in a car accident mm-hmm. and, um, and I, they never said it, but I'm going to assume that he was decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> And when I went to the funeral, it was still an open coffin thing. Yeah. And yeah. somebody, the person in front of me knelt down and grabbed the coffin and shook it. And his head just went, whoop. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and wow. I was like, I was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going in the back of the room. <laughs> I, I actually. He put his head a, back on right. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually worked in a funeral home that had a very large challenge about a young person that had a horrific accident on a motorcycle. And I remember that discussion too on, gosh, how do we handle this? Because they want an open coffin. And I think that, um, you know, this day and age, I think we're finding more people are doing cremation and we're not seeing as much open coffin situations for services. Not that they're gone completely, but I think that the percentage has changed quite extravagantly over the years. And um, I do remember those conversations of, oh, my goodness, the family actually wants this open, you know, for the public. And I think that those kinds of things can be a bit dicey because, you know, people, my dad is an excellent um, mortician and embalmer in terms of makeup and artistry. And, and they always do look like themselves. But I myself have been to, you know, services where it's like, wow, that doesn't even look like so-and-so. And much less if it's a horrific car accident when they're kind of, you know, put together again. So that's a delicate thing. And I think it depends also on the individual bomber or mortician's artistry level and mm. so, and or capability level. So that's, you know, I think that comes with the job too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It's like, like, like Rod, this guy looked like they had taken like a suit and like stuffed it with newspaper <laughs> And then just like stuck his head in there with some hands. Personally, you know, I would think that that's the responsibility of the family to, if you want to see your loved one dead and, and want to deal with it, even though it's been a horrific accident, so be it. But in my opinion, think twice about you letting the whole public in on that, because that does for many people leave a scarred memory or, and, or a creepy connotation to a death when we don't need to experience that. We can simply have that closed with a picture on the top, much like a cremation. And I think that you, you, know, you need to make some maybe better choices as a family on why you're doing what you're doing. And you know, those are all personal choices. Nobody gets to tell you what to do. Right. I, I suspect that this guy just wanted to, he probably found humor in his last uh, appearance being like a bogglehead. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he was that, that type of person. Yeah, but you know, anybody else on the fringes might not have that in their psyche right. for the rest of their life with a sense of humor, you know. So, um, so as a hospice worker, um, when you go in and, and like, like, what is it like, like, like when you first meet a family? Well, it depends on, I think the family. Um, Mm -hmm. There is an awesome story actually around the book, if I can share that one in terms of my, my book was not supposed to come out until like March, the middle of March of this year. And 
a gal that I used to know years and years ago reached out on Facebook and I literally had not spoke with this gal face to face or online for many, many years. We had just kind of, you know, lost track of each other. And she reached out on Facebook and said, Suzanne, I need you and or your book or both ASAP. And I said, well, it's not out until, you know, X date. And she said, yeah, but I need it now. And I said, well, I'm sorry, there's not a whole lot I can do about that. It's not technically out yet, you know. And I said, what's going on? And she said, my sister's in hospice and I can't do this again. My brother died almost one year to the day, a year past ago in hospice. And it was horrific. And here I'm finding myself in hospice again with my sister And I personally can't go through this, nor can my family. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so I said, well, if my book can't get there, at least I can. So I made arrangements to come and be with her. This was like on a Tuesday. And I said, I can come on Friday in person and meet with you and your family and walk you through the book. And (laughs) not even joking, within six hours, she shot me a screenshot of her holding my book. And she said, I have no idea what happened, but I opened my mailbox and your book was there. So on Friday, you can actually walk me through the real book. And I was like flabbergasted because there's no way that should have happened. Talk about divine intervention. And nobody else, nobody, including myself, had even had an author copy. Nothing was out there. It It was bizarre. I mean, it was just the coolest bizarre thing. So I walk in and and I'm helping this family. And sadly, this family had four children and this woman in the bed dying is basically my age, a year older than me. And, and, you know, this was the third child of theirs that was dying or dead within X amount of years. And the only alive one was the friend that I was working with going to be left out of four kids, you lost three. And so this particular family, obviously, needless to say, was in a bit of a tizzy in terms of, I can't do this. We can't do this again. We just can't do this again. And, you know, that was such an incredible opportunity. I worked two days with them and I'm not even exaggerating. We almost had like classroom training. I, I had a big, huge piece of paper and I was drawing how things work and I was bringing them through the steps in the book and I was showing them with their daughter right there in the bed. You know, this is what's happening and this is why. And it was probably one of the most cool days and not that that sounds like it's fun, but I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was amazing to watch right. these people, you know, um, open their heads and their minds and their hearts to the concept of this doesn't have to be horrific. And the experience they had one year prior with the son was horrible. He was in agony for three weeks in hospice. And this particular family, when we worked the way that we worked, she died the next day after I worked on her. And, you know, I'm not taking any credit for death. That's not in any way, shape or form what I'm saying here, but it is, it's, it, is an energetic thing that can happen with ease and grace and we can expedite the process in a natural way if we know how to do this stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is to support that process with ease and grace. And the experience this family had from one year to the next with one child to the next was, you know, a complete 360. So they were extremely grateful and I was, so was I, I was super honored to be there. Wow. And, and and what are the steps that you kind of go through in your book that, that helps people through the process? Yeah, the way that I wrote the book, um, first and foremost, I didn't even try to write a book. The way that this evolved was I was sitting in hospice many, many, many years ago and 
with my own psychic senses talking telepathically to my so-called clients or patients. And I would ask them questions about what's happening because I had a own, I had my own personal curiosity. You know, I had been the mortician's daughter from the, the death side, but I hadn't been in it from the dying side. And so I was asking a lot of telepathic questions and I would just jot down the answers for myself. And it was basically like interviewing dying people from a telepathic way. And I jotted down answers and I'd ask more questions. And that evolved more and more into almost some semblance of a, um, a thought process that then I would take to the hospice actual volunteer meetings and I would share and they would ask for more, which turned into more paperwork and then eventually a PowerPoint presentation. And then it turned into an ebook, and then it turned into a full-fledged book. So this is the way that I was finding out what was happening. And at the same time, I was doing my full-time work as an energy practitioner, which works with the chakras and the aura and the energy systems and, you know, our subtle energy fields, et cetera. And I was finding a direct correlation to the activation of the chakras, the diseasing of the chakras that then turns to diseasing of the chakras, which shuts down the meat body. And then the death process itself was a final and full shutdown of the actual chakra system and auric fields. And it, it was fascinating to me. And there was nothing it, that I had found up until this point that actually broke it down that way and made a connection to it to, in that regard from a psychic standpoint. So, you know, I basically teach it going through the actual seven chakras in the body, which are the seven main ones that we have. And then I add the other two that go beyond it because we're still doing the death process in the room in terms of the soul energy. So it directly correlates with your seven main chakras and your seven main templates or auric energy bodies. And so that's the way that it's presented. And it's a methodical way that it's presented. And it doesn't mean we all die in that way, in that order. Exactly. We can jump around, we can move around, we can stall in some, et cetera. But it's the easiest way to teach it. Interesting. When, you, when you're with clients that are going through dying, and are, are you able to perceive their auras and the changes in their chakras as they're exiting? Yeah. Yeah, they're no different than what I do for a so-called alive patient, you know. I mean, I work with people all day long changing their energy fields and clearing their chakras and balancing their auras and repairing their auras. And in the case of a death, my job as an energy practitioner or a death doula, if we want to even call it that, is to clear the energy chakras just like I would for a living person, but I'm clearing them to actually shut down the flow of the consciousness and then help dissipate and dissolve the actual templates. And so nobody can kill somebody with this work. We don't kill anybody by shutting them down. That's, that sounds kind of scary and it isn't a kill factor. It's a assistance in shutting down the gasoline of consciousness and that higher self and that person in the bed from their higher soul perspective is in charge of that. I'm just facilitating the movement of the energy. And so what I do is I go in and I scan and I'm a telepath, and I don't use really my hands or anything. I do everything in my head. And I, that's why it's really easy for me to do it, you know, remote. I can work on any, and, and right now, you know, with everything that's going on in our world, I generally work remote anyway. So it's pretty easy for me to just, we call it tap in. So I can just tap into that person, and I can see where that chakra is at, what their, you know, trouble is, and then telepathically, I can connect to, well, if you're stuck in this chakra, I can ask questions and find out why. And then I can work with your guidance or your higher self or your own individual self in the bed 
to clear whatever fear-based thing, belief, situation, memory, whatever, is standing in the way of letting that go so that that can get out of the way for you to move forward to die. So that's kind of basically what I do. Yeah. So, so when a person's having, like, say you have a, a, you know, a person that's being really stubborn and it just isn't dying, you know, oh, yeah. it's kind of hang there. Is that like, um, is that like a clogged chakra that's, that, you know, just needs to be unclogged sometimes? Actually, I was, that was my so-called specialty in hospice in terms of they would call me in when they couldn't figure out why somebody wasn't dying. And a couple of the case studies in the book are very specific to that. In fact, the very, I think it's the very first one in the book, um, refers to an older uh, African-American lady. She was in her very, oh gosh, maybe late, late 80s, early 90s, and absolutely would not die. And they couldn't figure out why, medically speaking, she wouldn't die because she basically was living on nothing. And so that is one of my skill sets because I'm a telepath is to be able to go in and say, from a medical standpoint, they can't figure it out. But from an energetic standpoint, I have every capability to find what it is that she's hanging on to and why she's not dying. And in that particular case study that's in the book, it was because of the fact that she did not know how to leave her home. She had never left her home in over 35 years. She was an agoraphobic that did not know how to leave the safety of her home. And so she didn't know how to leave this planetary existence being wow. in her home. And that was a huge chunk to it. And then yeah. we found a secondary chunk to keeping her here, which was the concept of her husband had died one year earlier in the room across the hall from her in the same home. And his spiritual energy had not 100% crossed. And so he had an essence of his being still in the home and she felt like she couldn't leave him not understanding that if she died she would be with him fully and so we crossed the husband and then she eventually died so there's a lot of really cool things you're made privy to when you can mix in the psychic skill set along with everything else because you get some really wild stories and that's why i put in such different really unique um, case studies to each of the chakra stages because it kind of explains weird things that I can come up against. And that's what makes the book, again, really kind of unique and cool. Interesting. Um, so with the chakra energy and the aura field, um, when a person is passing away, like you mentioned it as like, like sort of shutting it down. Yeah. Um, but is it actually more like rather than shutting it down, kind of like, I don't know, flushing it out and making it just move to the next um, well what i think where where you maybe your verbiage is confusing it is is that what you're moving out is anything that prohibits the actual flow of energy to okay. then just become one so yeah there's a two-pronged job there my job mm -hmm. is to flush out or get out of anything that's diseasing the energy meaning too right. heavy density. Like blockages yeah fear anger frustration you know confusion, et cetera. And so guilt, you know, shame, all of that stuff that keeps us here. And so I'm moving that energy, which is the dense, heavy energy that it's in the way. The best way that I describe it in the book to think of this is, is that we are a vehicle of the God source because there is not like, you know, God is not a guy. It's, it's an essence that needs bodies and vehicles to actually create an experience with. And we chose a human meat and bone vehicle. We chose to come here in a meat body and we chose to come in a meat body on an earth plane. And so when this meat body is our vehicle, 
these so-called chi, prana, life force, energy, our connection to God in consciousness, or I call it source, source consciousness is our gasoline. So our vehicle needs that gasoline connection. And then the aura is like our gas tank. It holds in a templated manner our own individualized fuel. And so when we have the vehicle with great gas and the tank, we're, you know, this is the, the goal of being alive is to have that in great shape, just like a great car flying down the road. And as we die, what happens is, is we start to slow down that fuel because it's time for that vehicle to leave planet. And we slow down that fuel and we dissipate the actual gas tank. And so everything goes back to a oneness of source. You can kind of think of it like an ice cube floating in mm -hmm. a cup and the ice cube keeps melting and melting and melting. And it came, it came from source, it came from water, it became an ice cube for a while, and then it melts right back to where it came from. It's, that's kind of how, it's a great metaphor. Yeah, that's a great analogy for it. Yeah. Um, what is the most common... Um, chakra that you have to work with when people are passing? That's a great question. Um, you know, the first three chakras, one, two, and three, which is our root chakra, our base, our sacral, which is um, root and chakra and base is all about survival instincts. It's about belief systems. It's about being safe. It's about stuff. It's really messy. And I think that's probably the messiest one. But the sacral is the next one. This is about relationships and emotions. So people get a little hung up on, I can't leave, or who am I going to leave, and are they going to be okay? The third one is about power and ego and understanding a mental capacity of things. And so these three comprise what is known as the physical plane. After the physical plane, we get to the heart chakra, which is the bridge that brings us to the top three, which are the spiritual planes. So the spiritual plane and bridge move quite easily. My job as a uh, hospice worker in terms of energy and shutdown is usually almost always in the third, first three because these are the most physically oriented, earth oriented, humanistic oriented chakras where we hold egoic trouble. And mm -hmm. the very first one is always messy on everybody because we humans are so goofed up in our belief system and we are always forever searching for worth and safe and however a lot of people are working on that even when they're alive you and i are sitting here chatting alive and well and our root chakras are already changing and goal of energy work while we're alive and well is to already clear that crap out of your chakra so a lot of people the more advanced they are in their spirituality are actually clearing that root chakra all along. So, you know, a lot of times I will find that root chakra is the hardest one, especially if a person is a little bit older and has really strict belief systems and egoic stuff and self-worth problems. And then that second one is more so family. I can't leave my things. And, and then that third one is egoic power and anger and lots of frustration. So it can be any of them, but I think the biggest category always has to be the red chakra with beliefs. Interesting. Um, I don't know if this is off topic or not, but it just hops into my head because you okay. kind of mentioned it, um, you know, about, um, well, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a book called the Tibetan book of the dead. Yeah. And, and what it does is its main focus is living in such a way that when it's time for us to go, it's easier for us to go. Exactly. Um, do you address any of that in your book about like, you know, certain ways of living that'll make dying easier? 
I totally address that in the book and I address it in every, any interview that I've had my very, very first interview years ago about being a hospice person. He said, and I think this is actually written in the book. He said, Suzanne, what's your last words of wisdom if you have any for the audience? And I said, live as if you're dying because you will die as if you're living, how you are living. This is the whole concept. If we can choose to clear these chakras and align ourselves with our higher source energy while we're alive and well, our actual meat body has a different experience here on earth. We find joy and we function differently and our health is different and our processing is different, et cetera. We will die easier when that is how we live. It just is a given. And so this is important for us to understand. And I do, I reiterate it quite often throughout the book. You will die with belief systems and diseased energy, just like you have been living with. So the goal is, is to figure this stuff out now when you're alive. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty cool that you address that because, yeah. you know, again, it's so counter to what we're taught and what we, our society will deem acceptable, you know? Um, well, that's because I think most people think, sadly, that things happen to them. I think people, generally speaking, still think that I got sick or I got cancer or I got whatever. I got high blood pressure because it's in my family. And what we don't understand is we are choosing to co-create that experience for whatever reason. And we can sometimes change those experiences and sometimes that's what we came in to actually experience. And so when we learn to take responsibility for our co-creation, then we start to look at things differently and we start to say, wow, I only got one shot in this meat body. I maybe want to do this differently, you know, and or if I do truly have a cancer journey and it is not, you know, moving the way that I want it to, I may choose to go up to my higher source energy and understand why I actually signed up for the journey and see this as not something that happened to me, but why the heck did I bring this in and what can I learn from that before I leave planet? Because we want to clear that information out of our so-called Akashic record or book of life before we die so that I don't have to turn around and come back and do it again. And this is that reincarnation wheel that I talk about in the book too, that is very important for us to understand that we do come back and have more experiences and we are actually able to clear this karmic debt now on earth planet before we die, which is fascinating. It didn't used to be like that. Ooh, things are very powerful now. And so if we get this bigger understanding, we, we will maybe open our hearts and our heads and our bodies to do the work to clear this crap out now so that we don't take it with us. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I like the idea, like when you say, like, like to, to live like we're going to die, you know, mm -hmm. um, because, I, I mean, just, just that mindset changes the way a person is going to live. Like if a person is living selfishly trying to just accumulate money, you know, that person is living like they're going to live forever. And it's not going with you. <laughs> we yeah, all, we it's, all say it, it's it almost, but we don't know it. <laughs> it, 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 it. It makes zero sense. Right? You know? Yeah. You know, to, to live like you're going to die and, and really look at what we're, what we're leaving behind as far as, like, I think a positive impact on other people is a more practical way to be. 
Yeah, I mean, the legacy of a, you know, a bunch of money versus the legacy of multiple years of warm memories and heartfelt experiences is really two different things. And obviously, each human gets to choose. And this is what brings us back to those belief systems that are housed in that first chakra. You know, our belief systems drive our behavior and our actions. And we can learn to change our belief systems if we choose to. But most people, sadly, don't even realize that they're programmed in beliefs, much less have the wherewithal to stop and go, what, you mean I can actually change that? And then do the work to do it. So it's very, it's not easy, but it is possible to change our core beliefs. Um, how about like different types of, doing like different types of chakra meditations while we're alive? Does that help? Well, like, I, To you make know, it like less stubborn? Yeah, I think anything, you know, for you, it might be a meditation. For the next person, it might be gardening. For the next person, it might be jogging. Um, anything that makes your heart sing and open and gives you a flow factor within the body can help, like, move the energy that is of dis-ease. However, if someone doesn't understand the concept behind it, then they are only probably going to replace it. For example, if somebody comes to me for a so-called healing and, and I do the services of moving their energy, which allows their body to have flow and, and feel different and it's more open and the pain is gone, I will more, most likely somehow replace that pain factor if I don't remove the concept of the belief system that put it there in the first place. And each of the chakras are amazingly clear in what is the belief brought in? What is the gasoline coming in? What is this chakra doing and telling me and, and programming in my body? So when we study the consciousness behind each of the chakras, it's a map to the existence and how we're living in a great way or a not so great way. It's a pretty simple process. It's really sad, in my opinion, that we don't teach energy in grade school, because we would be a completely different human race if people understood, oh, you mean I actually created that? I actually brought that in, you know, but in terms of what your question initially was on how I move it, moving the energy is actually quite, um, you know, vast and limitless in how I can do it. But one wants to really look at how do I not replace it? Hmm. And how, how does one do that? Not well, each... Each of the chakras are, are absolutely 100% giving you different fuel. They're giving you information differently. So the base chakra, the root chakra, for example, it, to be blunt, comes out of the crotch area and goes downward out of the human body, and it connects us to the earth planet itself. And it is a connection that is made for this meat body to understand that I am part of an earth plane. I signed up for Mother Earth. I signed up to be on a planetary system that is a magnetic mother nurture energy. And that's what this first chakra is about. And it is telling me that my body is safe. And it is guaranteeing me that I am here because I am worth it. And I have worth and I have value because I'm part of this relationship process. And we don't get told anything like that. We don't even think about walking around on this planet. We have no concept or idea of what Gaia or Mother Earth is. All we do is plot along and we blow up our planet and we frack it and we hurt it and we disregard it. And we every once in a while say, hey, that's a pretty tree. But we don't really understand that our actual safe comes from being in our body and connected to this system and that our worth 
comes from source energy alone. So these two primal wounds of safe and worth are running in us all the time as a silent narrative. And when we are going through our sadly childhood years, we don't get that messaging. What we get as messaging in this root chakra system is whatever mom and dad thinks, whatever grandmas and grandpas and siblings and teachers and, and so on and so forth are telling me makes me safe or not. So now I learn, oh, safe is because I go to work every day. Safe is because I have a big fat fancy job. Safe is because I have a 401k. Not safe is because I don't have a partner. Not safe is because I'm sick and so on. So we take sadly, everybody's version of what is safe or worth and value systems in from, by the way, in utero, we're getting these messages. And we get them from in utero all the way through this childhood. And we start to put together my consciousness container and my perception of my reality, according to everybody else's beliefs. And this mm -hmm. is the biggest misperception and the biggest lie that we all live. We are safe because we're here. We're alive. Right. We are present. Yeah, we're already we're safe. You don't have to yeah. worry about that. Yeah, but nobody can understand that unless they do the work to, to get there. And the value of my being is because I'm a being, not because I'm a doing. And we've turned into a society of doing. So you know, that's what that chakra is about. So sadly, when we, when we run this chakra on overdrive, we're like, I got to go to work. I have to go to work. I have to go to work. You, well, you don't have to do anything. You choose to go to work and you choose to go to work for a myriad of reasons. And so we can start to unwind some of these um, driving beliefs in that root chakra if we slow down and analyze it and study it. But this isn't something that a whole lot of the norm um, is, is it isn't even conversation out there. That's what cracks me up. I mean, we don't even talk about consciousness in this society. We don't even have a normal conversation about consciousness and people don't even know what that word means that we're a sentient being that's present and connected to something that we're creating. We don't even talk like that. So how can we possibly expect ourselves to think like that? So you know, that first one kicks off the mess for the rest of them. And then, you know, the second one is really all about relationships and emotions. And we people that are walking around these human meat sacks think that I'm supposed to be with somebody because, you know, Hallmark tells us that and everything else under the sun proves that I'm not good enough yeah. unless I'm with somebody and I'm controlling them or they're controlling me and on that goes. And so we give our power away consistently to everything outside of our sources here. And sadly, this even more so is about emotion. And we have been trained as humans to not feel what we really feel. We think feel. We think feel. You know, hey, Gary, how do you, th how do you feel about that? And you go, fine. <laughs> hey, Gary, how do you feel about that? Okay. All right. You know, those aren't feel centers. So our feel centers are really downplayed and unactivated in most of our human bodies. And so you know, this is when we start to feel what I'm told to feel. I feel what I'm programmed to feel. I don't want to feel because that's scary and so on. So that particular chakra gets really sticky there, you know, yeah. and then you can go up because each of the chakras has their own, um, their own messaging. So again, if I'm having dis-ease in my belly and our body, again, is a map. We carry our male energy on the right-hand side, our female energy on the left-hand side. If I, as an energy practitioner, scan 
a client or a patient and I see that they have density on the backhand right hand side of their body on the back right hand lower side of their body I know immediately that they have a problem with male relationships and if it goes all the way into the butt cheek and the sciatic and the hip I know they're angry about their father and the belief systems of growing up around that because it's a map it's it's a fascinating thing and we can all learn this and this is why I break it down in the book for dying but you can take this information for living so I can scan my own Suzanne body and I can go wow my right hip's really acting up I wonder what I'm pissed off about that my dad presented as I was growing up and we don't give blame to dad because it's my belief around my experience with dad it's not my dad it's my belief around my experience with dad so you know this could be well all you got to do is work. You only can work. You can't do anything but work. And that wasn't my belief around my dad. But I mean, a lot of people have that one. My dad worked all day. So therefore, I have to work really hard. I have to work really hard. So we adapt and adopt these belief systems according to what our experiences are. And then we hold angst or anger against it in our body if it is not in alignment with our heart space. And so this is how the dis-ease starts in the body if this is starting to make any sense. <laughs> That makes just so much sense because it's so funny that you even bring that up because I, I, I'm a pretty healthy person, all except for my right Because Do you think Susanna's maybe scanning you through the Zoom call here? <laughs> I, I think so because cause that, that's, that's always been the issue, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny because... You know, I would say the most difficult relationship I've had in my life has been with my dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and can I call you out even further? Is it okay? Um, yeah. In terms of you also carry a lot in your throat chakra. And so you actually have a lot of tightness in the throat and the front end up and around the back of the upper, you know, part of the neck and in the back area where this also indicates um, that, that there is trouble being heard, or I can't necessarily voice my opinion without feeling bad, uh, hurting somebody's feelings, or I am going to voice this because you're going to hear me. And those kind of pendulum swings are something that you witnessed as well. And, you know, losing parents, I, I'm not necessarily heard or validated as much as I could have been if they were around, et cetera, et cetera. So you can, we'll, we'll carry that kind of thing in that neck area, in that throat area, when it's hard to swallow, if you swallow and feel that going on mm -hmm. in the throat do with being heard and you know so we can we can hold all of these things in our body for so long and we don't even know they're there and we don't take care to clear them and what happens is is the body gets louder and it gets louder and it starts maybe as a lump in my throat and my neck is tight but then it turns into my neck starts to freeze up and mom my rotator cuff's going to go off when I lift that box but I'm in great shape. What the heck just happened? You know, so we, we start to move into those kinds of fluky things. I don't have any idea what happened to my rotator. I just picked up a dumb box, but it has to do with not being heard from a male perspective. So we can analyze and break this stuff down in a fascinating way while we're alive, which will then allow the body to have a more um, ease and grace in how it flows. But we don't necessarily get told this or learn this unless we dive into this. That's amazing. Like you, you called me perfectly <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because the one thing I do get is other than the back thing is and I'm not, it's not as much bad as my back, but yeah, but I get sore throats a lot. And, uh, yep, and I've always, and, and I've always believed too, you know, cause, cause I'm, you know, familiar with the chakras. I'm like, Oh, maybe it's just, 
I'm having trouble communicating. Yeah. You know, yep. I, I'm yeah. not doing, and, you know, not saying what I need to say. Well, and it's not always just not saying what I need to say. It's the concept and the idea that I still need validation for what I say or believe. And this is a huge one for most of us in the fifth chakra or the throat chakra. This is something that we want to be validated for our truths. And oh my God, as a society right now, especially in this crappy election stuff that we're up against in the U.S. is, you know, everyone wants to be right. I'm right, you're wrong. And I want you to understand my version of right. And I'm going to make you understand my version of right by shoving it down your throat or manipulating you or heart, you know, hanging on you and barraging you. Or I'm going to not want to rock the boat, not want to make you feel bad. I'm not going to speak up. And we, we go back and forth on this pendulum all day long. But the essence of it is, is that I want someone to acknowledge my so-called truth so that I know that I'm right. And the reality is, is they can't. No one can validate my truth because they don't know what my truth is because my truth comes from inside of my own consciousness container. And that truth is evolving and starts when I'm in utero and no one has been in utero or in my consciousness container from day one. No one has the capacity to see my perception and feel my feel. And yet we humans sit there and want someone to validate our truth. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And we will fight to get validated because if you really, really listen to me and you change or you say, yeah, then I'm right. But I already was right for my version of right. And by the way, you can be right for your version of right. And those two rights don't have to even look anything the same, which is the coolest thing in the world. But we can't get our heads around that. So if the my so so personally, if my if my throat chakra issue, I mean, what would be the best thing to do? Just just let go and just like, you know, not worry well, about it. In some essence, yes. In in a lot of essences, yes. The more work that you do on your higher self and knowing, if I'm checking in and I'm aligned to Gary's higher self, if my higher knowing feels in alignment, that should be all I need. I should be, and I rarely use the word should, I should be okay with that. And I can let somebody else who's barraging me with their truth or not speaking to me because of my truth, I can just let it go. I can just honor the fact that, wow, you have another truth. And, you know, I say a lot to my clients, there's a really great line. That's your truth. It's just not mine. That's your truth. Hey, that's cool. You believe that. That's awesome. That's your truth. It's just not mine. And when we can start to own different truths without anything attached or conditions aligned to it, we start to clear this throat chakra up differently. And we observe the whole entire universal flow in a different way. It's fascinating. We start to just be observers. We start to be in awe of how crazy this stuff gets, you know? And I mean, right now, this is a great time to practice observing and to practice. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. And, you know, we sit there and we wait and politics is perfect to practice with this. We're sitting there listening to human meat bodies behind a podium spew out all kinds of crap that we think we're supposed to believe. And then we hold on to that so-called thing that they said. And then we're peeled because they did or didn't do it. And we are harboring angst and anger and frustration the entire time. And we do this every single day. It's ridiculous. You know? Yeah. I, I actually had a guest, well, not, not last night, but the night before. And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a fun interview. And <laughs> it, it, I mean, it wasn't like my, it wasn't my normal thing. Like this guy, I was like, 
a pop culture guy. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. really my, my normal stuff, but you know, I figure, you know, it'll make me a better interviewer. Sure. So, um, you know, and one of the things was James Bond, and I cracked a couple jokes about Sean Connery wearing like a terry cloth romper <laughs> and right? stuff like that. Oh my God, I loved him. He was the best. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and I think I, I made the guy a little frustrated there. And, uh, but, but anyway, we get through part through the interview and he kept, keeps talking, he's making fun of me for living in Alabama and stuff like that. And, hmm. you know, and, and he kept, you know, saying something about the apocalypse is coming, the apocalypse is coming. So eventually I just made the joke. I said, well, you know, the apocalypse will hit on November 3rd and we'll get it over with. In and, my opinion, it's already here. <laughs> and, 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 and he kind of exploded at me and started like yelling at me. Wow. And, and I said, well, you can't really accuse me because I don't even vote. Like, I'm not going to, I don't, I feel it's wrong to be forced to choose a side. Wow. And, and he and just, he lost it. He, he, yeah, he, he went off on me for like a half hour and, and threatened to not finish the podcast. Interesting. <laughs> and and here like, is a perfect, perfect, like, perfect example. <laughs> Yeah, but this is, you You absolutely brought forward a perfect example. That particular gentleman is not um, secure enough in the concept of holding his own truth. He wants others to be the same, to be able to validate he's okay holding that truth. That's why we get angry. And the reality is, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't believe what you believe. It doesn't matter if I don't vote and you do. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters, really. (laughs) (laughs) And so the more angry and stuck in the ground those people get, the more that indicates a very fear-based belief system Uh in that I need to have outside assistance in validating truths. And again, this Mm -hmm. isn't judging a person. It's just how they are perceiving their world out there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it caught me off guard because it was something that's never happened to me in the you know, <laughs> 80 episodes that I've recorded so far, you know? Hey, there's always got to be that one where you're like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what happened there? <laughs> that's but, awesome. <laughs> but, but yeah, was, I'm going to jump I'm gonna jump back if I can on the throat thing, if yeah, I may. Okay. Um, what I want to go back to is bridge this back to the death process, because I think this is one of the coolest shutdowns of the death process for those that are in attendance or holding vigil or at bedside. When somebody gets to the throat chakra for their death experience, and if we're saying it's kind of in a methodical way again, where people are around bedside and witnessing, et cetera, um, oftentimes when we're at this particular shutdown, this is when the patient or the person in the bed dying will often start to ramp up an effort to look like they're trying to talk. And this is a very difficult time for a lot of people that are in attendance because they, they get panicked. Oh my God, mom's trying to say something. Oh my God, she's trying to speak. And a lot uh-huh. of times when they're at this point, they are in what we would call a non-responsive situation where they're not audibly speaking. And so for them to start to perk up and try to look like they're trying to get audible out of their mouth again, people get really anxious. And it's like, oh, crap, what's she trying to say? We got to figure this out. We got to figure this out. And I'm here to tell you, most often what's happening when they're doing that is not necessarily 
for the people that are in the room, what they are doing is, is they're starting to see their guides, their angelics, their benevolence, their dead loved ones, etc., coming into energetically into the room. And that is actually who they're talking to. They are actually starting to move from using the voice in meat and bone body with the vocal cords to a telepathic communication style and they're shutting down the actual throat to not use it anymore so that they can telepathically merge in heart space with these benevolent beings and this confuses people a lot they're like oh they're staring off into the corner and it looks like they're mumbling away and i don't know what's happening and i write in the book what's happening most likely from an energetic psychic standpoint is their loved ones are coming in or their benevolence or their angels or whatever so this can be a very scary time when we are holding vigil or watching somebody die, or if you have the book, it can be fascinating. Oh, you know, that happened with my dad. Yeah. My, da my, my dad wanted to pass away at home, so we brought, I had him home. And one of the things I did is we put a baby monitor in the room with him so we could hear if he needed anything. Sure. Yeah. And, and he was constantly talking and seeing people who had already passed. Yeah. For weeks. Really, yeah. Before he yeah. passed away. That's cool. And uh, yeah, it was cool. I was like, wow. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like they were just like coming and trying to trying to help him exit, you know, trying yeah, to help him, I know, him make right? the transition. And did it he was, have a brother? Did he have a brother? Oh, he had like three brothers. Yeah, because one of his brothers feels like stepped really forward and helped him through. It feels really like a brother presence was super, super strong for him. So this is really cool stuff if we can start to allow ourselves to understand that my loved ones do come. And this is so important messaging right now when people are pissed off that so many people are dying without me getting there and I can't get into the nursing home and I don't get to go to the hospital. And there's so much anger around this pandemic stuff right now. And what we need to understand if we choose, which I hope people do, is that we don't die alone. We cannot technically energetically not be without other presences that are moving us forward whether that presence is my guardian angel whether it's my dog when i was a kid whether it's my grandmother or my partner there is always help and assistance there it is up to us to understand our ego is in the way when i want to be there when my dad is dying my ego is what's standing there angry because i missed it and so these are things that we can learn from the book, again, to alleviate years and years of frustration, anger, angst, regret, shame, because I didn't get there on time and all of those things that aren't actually real. So that's a really important chapter for people to understand that concept. Yeah, it's interesting. And another interesting thing that happened with my mom was, um, I mean, I was with her when she, I was with my dad, my mom and my uncle all all the money passed awesome. away. So I've, I've gotten to go through it a few times. And, um, you know, and, and like, I think like, that's why I think like, like death is important. You know, I think yep. it's important, you know, if they want you to be there or not. But one of the things that my mom did is after she passed away, uh, we were going through her stuff, looking for, I think for her insurance card. And we found a note in the wall, her wallet. And she had written me a note before she passed away. Hmm. And, and the note said, basically, you know, in, in don't worry, enjoy your life, and we'll meet again. Yes. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I've, and I kept so it. I, ha I have it on my wall. That is so beautiful. I should write, I should write four of those notes out right now and stick them <laughs> <up>. <laughs> But I think my kids are pretty aware of this stuff. Um, that's 
fabulous and what a gift and what a wonderful gift because most everybody that comes into my office when they are coming for a healing that has to do with losing a loved one it just happened just two days ago in fact with a client most often the question that they ask first is i want to know if they're okay i want to know if my mom's okay i want to know if she's all right and that again it just mind boggles me because they are okay because they already signed up to leave planet in this way at this time, how they should, when they should, et cetera. And whatever is happening to them is okay. And I think that that's something that I hope this book helps alleviate is this fear that I'm still here on planet and I'm frustrated and angry and sad and confused, but I'm more worried about the dead person and the dead person is not who needs the work. Who needs the work down here is the one who's left and playing all the games of shame or guilt or anger of not letting go and understanding. So the dead person is in a place in the space that it isn't all rainbows and unicorns. I mean, it definitely isn't, you know, we're up here bowling with grandma and grandpa, like I said on another interview. It's not like that. But if you want to think that, that's awesome. Because in some respects, if your belief system thinks grandma's going to find grandpa and they always bowl, so they're going to bowl, it's a thought form that has a memory signature. And that's cool. That will happen. But technically speaking, the actual back to source situation has my soul energy in between lives examining that past life looking at my book of life my akashic record my contract determining what i did do and didn't do and why and how and when etc and so these are places of learning in between lives not only as an individual but as a collective and it it isn't necessarily how we picture it and i think that's important to know that, yes, they're okay and they got stuff to do, but they are also what we know as an omnipresence, meaning if I really, really, really wish my dad was walking me down the aisle and he's not there and meeting body, he is there in heart and soul. So let him be there. And he is there because he has the capacity to be there. And so this is another important concept of omnipresence. And I make reference to that throughout the book as well. That's great. Yeah. Um, I had a question. I just, I got so enveloped the way you were saying that. I forgot <laughs> my other question because I was just kind of visualizing it. Um, yes. That's okay. Um, That's okay. You go ahead and think I'm going to go on omnipresence just a second more because there is a really cute part in the okay. book yeah, at the very beginning. At the very beginning when I was learning um, and, and so-called interviewing my, my dying patients, um, I asked one of them, what's going on? Because like a part of you is shifting and I'm sort of like energetically watching you go somewhere. Where are you going? And this woman in the bed telepathically again said, oh, I'm going to go check on my son. He's over in, in Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever it was the time period. Um, you know, I'm going to go check on my son. And I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, you hang out here with my body and I'm going to go check on my son. And I'm like, oh my God, that's fascinating because what we don't understand is that happens all the time. We do that all the time. When we love somebody, we can go somewhere at any time when we think in our heart space, when we dream, when we pray, we can do this all the time. But God forbid we think that that can happen when somebody's dying. So that son that is stuck over in the war, missing the mom's funeral, 
you know, can live with years of guilt and shame because I didn't get there and I missed it. And I'm here to tell you, she already was there. She was there. And so this is an important concept for us to understand, again, no one dies alone and we don't lose somebody alone either. And these are really important ideas to open our headspace to that omnipresence is very, very powerful and very, very real. Yeah, it's, I, and I, you know, I get a hundred percent agree. You know, I just, it, it's, um, you know, we don't perceive it, but maybe we would perceive it. I think maybe if we were taught differently, right? Because, because when you look back, when I look back and, you know, I do a lot of, um, you know, ancient culture type of episodes and cool. it, it's sort of like they, they knew that oh, they yeah. perceived it way better than we do oh yeah we lost so much i mean you know part of the problem is is that we lost ritual first and foremost we lost ritual and we lost the idea that this is a gift that they get to die we lost that and when we lost that we lost the power of the whole entire process and so you know the ancients know so much i i too love you know going i go to peru every year except this year i'm so sad so far um, but, um, every year I walk those ancient sites in those spaces and I download memories and I touch buildings that just show me the, the vastness of what they knew in terms of how to connect with not only themselves, but the land and the cosmos. And we're so limited and ignorant and silly and, and, you know, one, one, per, you know, one D we don't even know 3D really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really important for us to understand that ritual and death and and knowing that we can invoke our ancestors and that we can invoke this bloodline and we can bring this out of the cosmos and the ethers because it's part of who we are and it's in our cell structure, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's huge power in all that stuff. And we just walk around every day and go to work and come home and we're tired and we watch Netflix and we do it again, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it, it's almost like we have it backwards. What we perceive as primitive He's actually advanced. <laughs> no you know, kidding. Like, 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 no like Native kidding. Americans, you know, the way they handled death, and or even Egyptians, you know. I mean, yeah. they had a really yeah. you know, connection with it, you know. And, That's and, funny. And, I like how you put that. That's so true. We're, we're not the advanced civilization they were. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like, they were way more connected. One of the other things I wanted to ask you, too, it, it just it finally came back. <laughs> when we were talking about the root chakra, Mm -hmm. being connected to earth and Gaia. Um, those are, does the damage that we do to the earth affect root chakras as a collective? Oh God, definitely. Because our ground is off, you know, um, not, I don't hardly know anyone that grew up with a concept of grounding to Gaia. I don't, you know, I'm 60 years old and I never met one person in all of my clients in my life, anybody in conversation that said, yeah, I grew up as a small child learning how to ground and bubble, you know, right. you know ground to the earth and the cosmos and bubble it. Um, no. And when we don't hold that magnetic connection to the earth period, we're already goofed up in terms of our frequency and circuitry. Then we walk on and in, in, you know, embody literal embodiment of places and spaces and things that have been, ward upon or fracked or or ripped apart and i as a as a psychic empath i'm very aware of and very diligent 
of places and spaces that this is toxic, this is off, this is, you know, and that's what I do for work, thank goodness, because I can change a ley line or I can change a frequency or clear an area. But the normal, quote unquote, normal person walking through all of that stuff every day, all day is getting barraged with that. In fact, that's actually the second book that I'm on right now. I'm just on the final spin to bring it to the first edit of my next book is called The Energy Healer's Book of Empathing. And um, I'm hopefully really excited that the publisher will go, yeah, this is an awesome one too, because this is a huge concept of that we're empathically taking on crap from everybody, everything, everywhere, all the time. And we are not trained to do that differently. So our root chakras are on constant fight or flight, and we are always in fear. So yeah, it's very important. It, it makes a lot of sense because... You know, there's, there, there's so much tension there. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much, you know, what we don't get too is that we're walking around in a hologram of programming, this collective consciousness, you know, this 4D consciousness, which by the way, we hold in that heart chakra, is, is absolutely wonderful and awesome and glorious and fabulous. And it's also crap and full of garbage and every <laughs> energy entity and all the programming and beyond. So it's the soup. And it's very important for us to understand that we are being barraged all day long with programming in a multitude of different energetic ways. And if we're not diligent, these meat bodies are taking a hit all day long. And then we add in what's happening up in our cosmos, not just our planet, the cosmos that's coming in that crown chakra, the connection for the crown chakra goes up to the electric God, father source energy, which is the cosmic energy. And this is the counterpart to mother Gaia energy. And this is, you know, God, solar flares are kicking our butt. We've got all kinds of planetary alignments that are just ridiculous, especially this year. Oh my God, right? And a retrograde will throw me right down the crapper if I'm not aware. And a full moon might spin me out of control. And so we are not necessarily on a mass consciousness aware uh -huh. of all of these things that will tip the scales for these bodies to be in constant dis-ease. And so these bodies are being programmed to be sick. We are being programmed on purpose to be sick because then we can take the drug to keep us sicker and then we can die. And so it's important for us to start to wake up. Ah, it's, that's really interesting because uh, I was doing an interview about an hour ago and the person I was talking to said pretty much the same thing. She mentioned, you know, about like Saturn and Jupiter and Mercury being a retrograde yep. causing a, a huge shit show. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And we're having... We're having six and nine planets in alignment, which has never happened for eons. And so we're getting our asses kicked and we don't even know it. And if you're just sitting there thinking, oh my God, I'm crawling out of my skin and I'm so scared and I'm upset. I don't have any context for that. I'm going to walk into work and I'm going to think, I hate this place. I don't like this project. My boss is an asshole. I got to get out of here. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with nine planets out of alignment and you're not grounded and you're getting zapped. So we are not diligent in terms of how we're empathing all of these energies and it's messing up our circuitry and it's happening on purpose. The controller programs are out there to keep these bodies in a dis-ease state of mind, especially mentally, if not just emotionally and physically. 
So this is very purpose-filled and it's not, oh, big conspiracy theory, all the crap that's flying around. Yeah, it's real. There is controller programming on purpose because that's how ignorant we are, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of sad. Right. Um, you, you know, one thing, this is an out there question, but, but, but you know, I, it's like I, I was thinking, and otherwise it's come up for me now, but, um, you know, it's like human beings have sort of fought for real estate on the planet, you know, and, and, and just totally screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Is, is, do you think there would be like, like there's certain people now that, that, that realize that there's like an astral plane and they're going to start fighting over that? Oh, God. I, <laughs> you're trying to claim I mean, territory in the astral plane. You open up this can of worms with me because I like, um, as an energy worker, I am very alien in the, in the planes of existence that I traverse. And it's already happening. I mean, there is so much going on out there in multi-universes and off-planet situations with humans involved already that is happening right under our noses. But there's no way for us to actually validate that or show that because we're going to wait stupidly for mainstream media to somehow validate that. But when you are able to traverse off-planet information, grids, um, geometrics, in, you know, starseed races, etc. you are made privy to how much that's already being fought over. We are literally living in Star Wars all day long, every day, all day with the dark forces against the light. I mean, you know, we, we are walking around with lightsabers in some regard of our energy fields, etc. So this is not, why do you think those movies ring our bell? Why do you think you know, the George Lucas movies draw us in and make us addicts to it. It's because it is real on another plane of existence. We're just not remembering it. Yeah. So it is very much um, the real estate, not just the real estate, sadly, humanity, humans as a species is just as um, um, in command of, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that I think can people don't want to know about because this starts to shed light on human atrocities and we are very comfortable with saying, oh, things like human trafficking don't exist and all this doesn't happen. And so we will close our eyes very quickly to all of that and think it's silly because we want to stay in our safe place. And that is, I hope, starting to change Mm -hmm. because our frequencies are starting to thrash these bodies and wake them up. What is happening with this ascension process is the actual higher frequencies are coming in and basically taking these human meat sacks and shaking the crap out of them to get our circuitry online, to wake us up, to let our cells activate and remember what we know so that we're starting to have glimpses of past lives, future lives, off planet. What the hell is that? Why do I have these weird dreams? And little by little over this time, and God knows what time means, um, we will hopefully be able to be aware of all of this that you're even entertaining in your head as real. It's interesting. You know, the reason I asked that question, and this is sort of out there, but yeah, I, I belong to a lot of Facebook groups. I've talked to tons and tons of people because of the podcast. Yeah. And somebody got in touch with me and not just me. He also got in touch with some other people I knew trying to recruit them into the Illuminati. Yeah. And, and, and with this promise of like all kinds of, you know, riches and stuff like that, connections that you wouldn't normally be able to get. Yeah. And, and I was thinking like, well, you know, there, there used to be normally a small secretive 
organization that was trying to control Earth. Like, why would they want to suddenly start recruiting people? You know. Oh, uh, first of all, and, I don't. I don't and, think it's small. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, I think I think this has been around since the beginning yeah. of time. Some version, some version of the Illuminati, some version of One World Order has been around since the beginning of time. Yeah. And you know, it's been around since our planetary system was even a speck. And so I don't think this should be a surprise to anybody. That said, I also would warn people to be very, very careful about what rabbit hole you choose to go down because you can get sucked into conspiracy theories and it will alter your meat body to the extent of your mind's going to go buggy and -hmm. you're going to live in fear. And that's what's going to activate your shutdown in your body again, because mentally we will go to anxiety and depression if we go down these rabbit holes. We can, we can be educated, we can be knowledgeable, but if you're sucked in, you're screwed in terms of how you're handling your frequency within your own circuitry of your body, and you will get sick. And yeah. so it's, it's a very, it's a very um, delicate, um, you know, road to walk because you need to be open and aware and careful of what is good for you and how much you are capable of handling in terms of your mental field. Yeah. It, it, but my, my thing was like, why are they suddenly trying to recruit so many people? And, and the only explanation I could think of is that they were going to maybe start trying to, you know, try to take over the next dimension. I, I think that first and foremost, like, like that would be their next goal. Yeah. They're not just trying now. They've always been trying and always will be trying and always will be doing. I think that there's more awareness about it right now. And it has become almost like um, a, a kitschy thing to talk about. And there's a lot of fake versions of it. There's a lot of stupid people out there in terms of, oh, I'm just going to ride this bandwagon and I think I'm doing this. And it might not even be what they think that they're doing. And the social media can twist and turn things in two seconds. And you think you're in an Illuminati group and you're with some dork living off and God knows where collecting mm-hmm. your money. And, you know, we don't know all of this stuff. And, and there's so many people riding on these bandwagons and, and kind of like dovetailing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So again, I think it's important for us to decide if I'm a co-creator in this world, if I'm here for co-creation, I got two kinds of fuel to work with in terms of consciousness, period. At the gas pump, there's leaded and unleaded. In our actual system of creational reality, there is what is known as fear and love, period. So when it comes to God consciousness or source, there is only two vibrational frequencies that we get to choose to work with. And one is love and one is fear. And so when we're playing in all of these fields of, oh, you know, world order, blah, blah, I can have knowledge, but I can still work in love. I can have information and I don't have to play with fear. Mm -hmm. So it's very important for us to choose because ultimately any fuel that we're using is what is, again, adjusting in my chakra system and creating my so-called living experience and ultimately will create my death experience. So we need to understand we're in charge of all of this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I never really thought of it as like those two fuel systems. That's a great analogy. Yep, there's only two. And you know, you can say, oh, I'm so angry. Angry is fear. Oh, I'm so, you know, joyful. Yeah, joyful is love. I am so, you know, abandoned, abandoned is fear. I, you know, there's, there's only two. And that's what's so cool about health and wellness again is get deep 
into your own self-experimenting of what is happening in this body. Why am I holding this dis-ease? Why do I have this really bad knee? Why am I not needed? Who do I not feel needed by? What's the fear of not being needed? And get down to the actual fear. And this is how we start to clear the consciousness confusion. The, the dis-ease in our body is a simply a confusion, a lack thereof, an abundance of the actual consciousness fuel. So when we study the consciousness, then we understand what's happening to the body. And that's all in the book, chakra by chakra by chakra. I mean, it's in a lot of places out there, but I put it in the book specifically because we talked about it earlier. You're dying when you're living. So you might as well figure yeah. this out. <laughs> Be in charge of your fuel. So, and even more so, I think what's even more so important, Gary, is the tank. You know, the fuel obviously is very, very important. But if we don't start to understand this aura in terms of this is my gas tank, this is my bubble, this is my egg, all those interchangeable words, that this specific temp, this, this unit of templates is how I traverse and I have the ability for what is known as discernment. So if somebody throws out, hey, you undo the Illuminati with me, every ounce of my being goes, hell no, that's ridiculous. That isn't a truth for me. And I know it instantly because my meat is sitting inside with bone in a structure of energetic egg protection that says, this is my truth. And so we don't, we don't utilize that unbelievable gift of discernment yeah. as the way that I believe every human should, because this is what starts to own our own power. And we give that power away all day long. And that's why that 4D plane of collective shit out there can absolutely hunker down and program me in two seconds if I'm not grounded in bubbles. So these are really important tactical things to understand in the world of energy. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really glad that, that you kind of, you know, acknowledged and reinforced it because the things that I, like, I think you just like, like, I mean, I was recently, I, I, I kind of poked at this guy for a little while was because I was trying to get him on my show. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, eventually he just kind of, like, he wouldn't do it. He just kind of went away. Well, the funny part <laughs> yeah. about... But, we, but he just wanted to use me as a battery. <laughs> well, and, and the funny part about somebody like that, in all honesty, is probably so far down the rungs on the totem pole of anything that is really, truly the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. And because the true Illuminati and the true culture behind the scenes that has always been there in some shape or form will always be behind the veil. They will never come forward and say, hey, I'm recruiting you. It just doesn't work that way. Right. And there, there's no need to do that. And so this is, this is that lower rung of stupidity again of, hey, I'm a college kid and this sounds cool to me right now. Or I'm not calling out college kids. I'm just using mm -hmm. it as an example um, because there's plenty of dumb adults. But, um, you know, this is, this is something that we're, we are um, taunted with all the time, all kinds of things that are, let me draw you in with something that's tasty and powerful. And that is actually anything but true power. That is mm -hmm. anything but alignment to true power. That is absolutely manipulated programming. And so this is important for us to own our own individualized power. And we can't do that if we don't know our own frequency. Yeah, I, like am, I found it like almost repulsive. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, my, my meat body, my meat and bone body is so completely trained and it's not that I'm cool. It's just that that's my choice. And I've done it for years that my body is so trained that the second that I hear something, experience something, walk through something, I can even scan something. The second that isn't, that's toxic for me in any way, shape or form, 
I'm immediately aware of it. And then I'm already on it to remove it because it's just not acceptable to my existence. And that isn't arrogance. It's just self-protection. And we don't go through life scared. We go through life smart, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so, like so, like sometimes like I'll come across certain people and I'm just like, uh, uh-uh. hey, <laughs> I don't, I don't want you near me. <laughs> exactly, because you're you're aware of your um field, and yeah. you do when I scan you, you do have though the ability for people to kind of creep in because you have a really open heart space too. And that's not a bad thing, but you have a really um, vulnerable heart space. And so you are going to be one of those ones that is, it's important for you to double check that discernment. You know, he or she did that or said that. What do I really feel about that? Because you're, you're a helper. You're one that wants to, you know, be there. And, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. That's great. As long as it is advantageous to your field. Right. You know? We, we're very confused, and that's why I'm really delving into empathing versus empathy um, in my next writing is because we don't know the difference. We are, we're designed as a human being and a species to be empathetic, meaning we're supposed to have empathy. But empathetic and empathy is not empathing. Empathing is, is I'm taking your energy and I'm making it mine. It's basically a vampiring and a stealing. And we mm-hmm. do it all day long. And we do this on purpose and we do this without knowing it. So these are energy exchanges that ultimately will dis-ease the body again and shut down these chakras in a myriad of ways and we're not even aware of it. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean... I certainly my, myself, I try not to take on too much from people around me, like yep. first their energy. Yeah. Um, however, so- however, sometimes you don't have, I don't have control over what they kind of throw my way. But you do have control of cutting the cord afterward. You do have yeah. control of examining exactly. your body and going, you know what? That still kind of feels like crap in my shoulders right now. God, my stomach feels a little nauseous still after seeing him or her experiencing that. So I'm just going to do my own due diligence and do some work of cutting cords and releasing that and filling. You know, we don't think like that. Again, Mm -hmm. it's like a vehicle. If I'm going to go to the grocery store five times, my tank is half empty, right? I mean, come on. And if I got a hole in my tank, it's all the way empty by the time I get to the grocery (laughs) store. We're diligent about our vehicles, but we're not diligent about our vehicle. I mean, come on. We're just so silly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you give like such amazing analogies <laughs> that, that explain sort of the some, yeah. some more abstract things you have a really good talent for just like putting okay. it in practical thanks it's called yeah. mother mother of four <laughs> <laughs> lots of years of telling the stories but thank you i appreciate that but it is it's important for us to own it on a on a way that our not only our eyes can get it and our head can hear it, but then that our body can feel it. And this is, I think, the biggest um, gift of being a human is to be what we are called sentient and feel centers. And this is, again, why we're so scared of death, because I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel grief. I don't want to feel scared. I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to feel all of those things that are connotated around that death experience. And if people can open their heads and hearts to some of the concepts in this book, they will understand you will not be alone. It will just be a different experience. And oh, by the way, let's try to maybe honor the fact that mom or dad or whomever chose to go, not that you got left. And it's a, it's 
it's supposed to be helping people shift the perspective. And I'm hoping that we accomplish that in how we presented all this information. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when people listen to this episode, there's, there's going to be so much for, for people to digest. Yeah. And, and a lot of times people will come into my room, uh, like the little gal I had the other night who was so completely sad. And yes, of course you're going to be sad. Do not underestimate grief. Yes, we need to be angry. Go punch a pillow, go scream. And then come back full circle and understand with a soul contract that you are contracted to still be here. And this by the way, is a very important message because a lot of people, when they're at that state of grief as she was, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with him. And I get this a lot from clients. So-and-so is dead, so-and-so is dead, and so-and-so is dead. Yeah, Why I, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And I'm here to tell you, if you chose to take your own life and leave planet because you want to go be with your dead loved ones, I am here as an energy practitioner to tell you, you won't be with your loved ones on the other side of the veil. You will, yes, see them as the crossing and as the actual thing starts because there will be that enveloped loving your home. But in essence, when you are so-called there, you will not be because it is about frequency. It is about vibration. It is about understanding and knowledge. So if I jacked my own contract, if I preempted my death exit and didn't accomplish what I needed to accomplish and learn and signed up for in the first place, my energy signature when I am dead will be at a lower or denser level. And if we want to look at it in a, again, a methodical order, I will be on the lower rung of the ladder. And my loved ones who have died way before me are on the upper rungs of the ladder at a lighter frequency because they've already done the work and they've done the work of their contract and they've done the work in between lives. So those two rungs have a lot of rungs in between. <laughs> so so if I, you try to take the easy way out, you end up having to do twice as much work to get exactly, back. Exactly, exactly. And I say that to people and their eyes pop out of their head because they think suicide or stepping out is going to be the answer. And I'm like, I'm here to tell you that's exactly not the answer because if you think you're frustrated down here, try being in between lives understanding, wow, what did I just do? Now I've got a hell of a lot of work to atone for and learn from before I can actually get up those lungs, rungs on the ladder. So this is very important for people to understand in terms of, you know, taking their own contract into their own hands. And if we take our contract into our hands from a higher perspective, meaning, you know, my higher self chooses to go, yeah. meaning like maybe I'm in a car accident with my you know, my loved one, and it was their time to go, and it wasn't necessarily mine, but in that car crash, my higher self chooses to go, then that is a different situation, because I'm going with heartfelt. Right, right. Now, now I've had, like, like, like so I've heard, like, like, you know, some people have, you know, again, contracted to come here and commit suicide. In that case, yes, you know, is, is there, you're, you're doing it to teach other people probably that what not to do. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, and what not to do, but maybe how to grieve and how to have experiences, yeah. how to be alone, et cetera. But those, in my opinion, again, as someone who has worked on many, many, many suicide um, spirits, ghosts, et cetera, those, in my opinion, cross at that higher rung level because it's part of their contract. Right, exactly, because that was part of the deal. But when you're doing it, it's not part of the deal. You know, my, 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 my fear was always, always been, like, if I, if I did it, 
I'm probably just going to get spit right back out into this world with even a well, worse situation. Yeah. And think of, the, <laughs> think of the bullshit karma you just took on. You know, you just upped your karma times a gazillion right there. How silly is that? Yeah, you I don't know? need that. <laughs> Gosh, we just need to understand from this bigger perspective that there's a, there's all, it reminds me a lot of an old fashioned clock with all the cogs going at the same time. All the wheels are interpenetrating. All the wheels are clicking and turning. And if one sticks a pencil in there, everything goes click, 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 click. And it's like, no, this is supposed to all work together. Source energy knows what it's doing. And this is why I don't get too hung up about a silly little election with meat body people screaming at each other because source energy does know what it's doing if we are in alignment with source. That said, most people don't do the work to understand their alignment with source. Therefore, our collective consciousness has been often running on its own, ignorant, and the programming of the controller factions are like, yeah, you guys are kind of asleep, so we're just going to be in charge. And this is what's changing right now. People are no longer putting up with being asleep. They're starting to what we would call wake up. They're starting to become awakened. And this is what's changing that energy. And this is why that maybe Illuminati feels like, oh, this is my last stand. I'm going to recruit anybody I can. But, you know, I even think that's silly. So I I think we've got, we've got so much more to ponder and why we, I cannot tell you how many people come into my office as a practitioner upset and angry about one side of the political stage or the other and their bellies are sick and they have, you know, their, their guts are churning and they have acid reflux going on because all of this crap is absolutely destroying their meat body and they will end up dying in fear and anger because of stupid things like an election. And I'm not saying it isn't our right to vote and that we have to be here in 3D. I'm saying do your deal in 3D, but get some more work done way up there. Get some more work done in alignment, you know? Yeah, and it goes right back to that original statement. Live every day like you're going to die. Right, right. Because if I was going to die tomorrow, do you really think I'd be angry and let my <laughs> reflex, you know, in the next four weeks? I wouldn't do that. I'd be out in nature going, oh my God, look at the freaking beautiful colors on the tree. And I'm so fortunate to have my daughter with me. You know, there's a difference in how we would live. And we've created this mess. We have created the mess of the human body. We've created the mess of the actual infrastructure of our world and our planet. We've created all of the controller programming and we are the ones that can uncreate it as long as we wake up. And a lot of this has to do with death because we still believe death is real. We believe dead means over. And that keeps us in a fear factor of, I don't want to fail. I don't want to have this end. I don't want to do something wrong. All of these so-called deaths, these mini deaths are part of death culture programming. And so it's important for us to understand that this is purposeful. They want us to be scared of death. The they's out there on the negative agenda want us to be scared of death. Because why? Because that keeps us asleep. So it's really important to open our hearts and minds to go, death is only simply a transmutation. It releases pain. It allows knowledge. It's a transmutation back to source energy where I get to keep going. I don't lose my loved ones, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I've just been so fortunate enough to not only sit at bedside and watch it, but have actual dead loved ones come through as a channel and speak to their loved ones and feel that frequency that they still hold 
even though they don't have a meat body. It's fascinating to me. It's just fascinating. It is. Have you ever had like a near-death experience? You know, me personally has not had a near-death one, but I do write in the book on the um, case study about my dear friend Rick, and I actually use his real name and full experience in the book on he is a dear man that I got to experience what we call the realm of sound, the realm of actual, the highest realm that the body can go to before they die. It's the realm of cosmic sound and the actual creation of sound itself. And I was doing a healing on him during the end part of his cancer journey. And I went out of body with Rick a lot and I go out of body and off planet and up to a lot of places. And then that particular story I say in the book, I went so far out that I actually w did get to experience what people experience in a near death without me being anywhere close to anything like that. I was just coat tag tagging on his coattails. And when I came back into my body, um, it was really hard to come back into the meat and bone version of Suzanne. And I was like, seriously, not to be gross, snot all crying, shuddering, shaking, couldn't, couldn't get my ground at all. It was so overwhelming. And I was just like, <laughs> and, and I walked out, he fell asleep and I walked out to his family and they all freaked out because they thought he was dead. And I'm like, he's not dead. I go, I'm the problem. <laughs> Cause I couldn't, I couldn't get back into this uh -huh. physicality. I couldn't, I couldn't take that big of a love quotient. It was like this giant funnel. And I had to go really down, down through that little teeny tiny skinny part at the end and cram it all back into my meat body. And it was overwhelming overwhelming and beautiful and wonderful, but it was pretty, it was pretty massive. It was pretty epic, but it was kind of scary all at the same time back then. Wow. You know, I had an experience. Um, I don't know if it counts. I, I talk about it all the time, but, but a couple of years ago, I had like a, a really bad epileptic seizure. It lasted wow. for about 20 minutes. Wow. And during the seizure, uh, when I was unconscious, Oh, I remember just being in this huge vortex of just color and sound just swirling around me. Yep. And, and I felt absolutely at peace. Yep. You no, know, it was like, it was like really like the, the, it was really, really cool. Honestly, it wasn't scary. It was just, it was like, wow, this is like freaking amazing. I get amazing. it. I go there a lot. I go and, to those places a lot. And, yep. and I couldn't quite describe it, you know, and, and then like, I, I, you know, I heard somebody yelling, go, Gary, come back, come back. And, yeah. and like, I, I heard the voice that kind of I went towards it and I woke back up. By then I was already in the ambulance. Wow. And I was just like, whoa. I'm still conscious when right. I was unconscious. You're doing what's calling you what, what you're doing is you're traversing your, what we would call silver cord. So we have like a etheric, meaning energy body cord that goes from our heart chakra all the way up to what we would call our oversoul or our soul. And you can think of that like a cord coming from my heart, going all the way up above my head, connecting to a graphic of like a, a real um, elementary school sunshine. So it has the round thing with all the pokey things, okay? And, and when I am connected to my soul, my soul is that nucleus of the sunshine and all the things poking out are different lifetimes, past lives, et cetera. And as long as Gary's still alive, that cord that goes down is still uh -huh. connected to his heart. This is what we traverse when we die. This is the tunnel. This is that vortex. This is the place where people see everything that happens in my life. And we hear Gary, come on forward or Gary, go back. This is that tunnel that we go through. And the light that we see at the end of the tunnel is actually our soul 
existence of spirit and source. And so when, if, and when that Gary body does choose to die, this etheric energy cord releases from the actual body and almost protracts, goes back into, and is forever a ray of that sunshine looking thing above in the soul. And this is how somebody like a medium like me talks to a dead person. I go into that soul's actual um, tentacle and I can get the information there. But when we're still alive, we traverse it as a, a tentacle that's extended as a cord all the way down to my heart. And this is where we also, by the way, traverse as we dream. So this is how we get back and forth to those portals and those places. Hmm. Yeah. So, so it is a real place that oh, gosh, yeah. I experienced. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the plane of existence. And, you know, I do so many out-of-body things and off-planet things that I've gone through crazy-ass portals that are just mind-boggling also in terms of going all the way back to, you know, time, time continuums and time-space continuums that are just ridiculously rapid pace through, you know, black holes and such. I mean, there's a lot out there that we can experience. And there's, you know, you have to, if that's the stuff you do, it's important to be with like-minded people so that you can share that and not think that you've lost your mind completely. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, it is strange. I mean, it, it, it changed my perception on, on a lot of things, you know, and I'm glad, right. And, and, and it also made me feel safe, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. Right. So, so if, if I do die, it's, <laughs> You, you've it, already it's not in, like this bad thing. It's, it's not you in the field center. You, you reignited the cell memory of the field center. And this is what's so important about this work. If we remember what we know, we reignite our cell structure to go, Oh my God, I've done this a zillion times. I mean, kind of think about it. We're so freaked out about life and we're doing like what 80 years if we're lucky. And I mean, we're talking about millennia of times and existences off planet on other planets, multi-universes, other species, and we're worried about 80 years, you know? So it makes me kind of giggle because then we can just have that soul memory of, oh my God, I've done this a million times. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes life so much easier to live. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I don't have to worry about losing mom because I've already had five times live with her, five lifetimes with her and I'll probably have a hundred more, you know? Yeah. We, things differently without that finite ending of death attached to it. So I hope that a lot of this conversation getting more what we would call normal would help people entertain these things because I cannot tell you how many people I run up against that don't even think about it. They don't even think about potentialities. They just stay in the fear of, I don't want it to come. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. And I'm like, wow, wow, you know? But they yeah. get to. They get it's, to. it's like shutting yourself down for like the ultimate trip. Yeah. <laughs> the but greatest you know, journey every, ever. Everybody gets to think what they want to, and everybody gets to live and die how they choose to. Nobody is responsible for changing anybody else's perspective, their yeah. truth, much less their experience or their death. And so these are really important boundaries to understand that I may think you should know all this, learn all this, experience all this. But in reality, you don't have to. Maybe that's not what you came here to do. So it's very important for us to stay in our own sandbox and play with our own toys instead of trying to, you know, steal everybody else's stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could, there are people, I think that, you know, their, their main thing is just to sort of mope around and eat pizza. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> 
that there's nothing wrong be, with that either. That might be what they came to do. I oftentimes think of them as like if there's a really cool play and there's only like three or four stars in the play and then you got all the extras. Mm-hmm. There has to be extras. And so why wouldn't there be somebody that just came to eat pizza? You know, exactly. There's got to be an extra. So that's okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a fantastic interview. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime you want to talk crazy stuff or paranormal, you give me a holler back and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we, we, we uh, wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and, you know, get your book? Yep. The easiest place you can even Google the book. If you Google the book and energy healers book of dying, it'll come up in a, a whole bunch of different ways, but the easiest access um, is on my own website, sworthly.com. So S W O R T H L E Y.com. And that'll bring you directly there, but it's Amazon and everything under the sun. Uh, if you go through my website, however, there's some really cool blogs on there that are all free. I have YouTube actual videos on death and dying that are all free on there. I have huge amounts of conversation on the chakras. I have a online community called Vibe Tribe for those people that want to have an online community experience. It's a super awesome deal and you get a monthly um, um, six different modules and webcasts and forums, etc. So it's a really cool thing to join if you choose. So I encourage people to just, you know, kind of tour around on the website itself. And then the book is right there on the front page. <laughs> That's great. You yeah. know, I just, I just had a funny, funny thought, you know, like, um, the, the, sort of like a message to my listeners, just because this podcast episode is ending. Yeah. Does it mean we're gone? <laughs> and that's a really good like metaphoric thought for the day you know just because we're signing off didn't mean we went anywhere we went and had a cup of coffee you know exactly i just went to (laughs) go eat dinner (laughs) good idea gary nice idea (laughs) well thank you so much for having me i really seriously appreciate it and i hope all your listeners check it out and i always say at the end you know this is a weird sounding thing for a gift, but it isn't. It's a beautiful gift, especially during this difficult time for so many people that are struggling with pandemic and God knows what happening. This is a beautiful gift for Christmas because we're all going to die and we are all going to have our own death and we're all going to lose somebody. So, you know, buy two if you choose to and give it to somebody and then give it to somebody else because we all need to understand this thing. So hopefully people understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid of it. Face it, read about it, be curious. And, and the case studies are kick-ass, man. They're really fun. So check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Stay in touch. You too. Thanks. Have a Bye-bye. great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.